Hey, cadaver pups. Hope you got your Halloween costumes ready because it's right around the corner. Today, Devin and I are here with Henry Chasen, the writer of the upcoming movie Antlers. Henry, how are you doing? Doing well. Thank you for having me. Happy Halloween. Happy <laughs> Halloween. It's finally here. It felt like I it was know. never going to get here. <laughs> it's about time. My favorite season. Have you been watching horror movies all month? We've been watching horror movies all year. As yeah. saying, we, we moved into this old house and... We get all our inspiration from kind of classic haunted house movies as we try and fix it up. Wait, so you're fixing up the house to look like a haunted house? Yeah, I mean, that's that's my dream. <laughs> <laughs> that's my ultimate dream, is to, is to stage a haunting for our guests. But uh, we're trying to kind of make it comfortable and nice, but we keep finding kind of hidden passages behind the fireplace or boxes in the attic. Shut uh, up. So we, we, we get our answers in horror films. We learn how to deal with these things. This is oh, amazing. Oh, that sounds so cool. What's the, what's the coolest thing that you found? I mean, definitely the, the box in the attic, which was... Not full of it, old 8mm film reels, I hope. Exactly. No, not, not <laughs> Ethan Hawke. But it was, um, I think, a, a child who used to live here. And it was just all of the... So it was like a pair of her shoes, which were like ruby red slippers... Like very Wizard of Oz, and then just all of the posters that were on the walls of her room, I think in like the 1960s or 70s. Oh, um, cool. And it was a person named Dolly who we recently like tracked down, and she still lives in this town. And we've been emailing her, we've been working up to uh, having this face to face meeting. But um, yeah, it was, it was a house that was just kind of full of old junk and stuff and, and never really cleared out the prior owner was a an antiques dealer who uprooted and moved to colorado kind of left everything behind wow oh man you really are living the dream i, I said that earlier but it's like for real Someone's dream. Yeah. <laughs> or or nightmare or <laughs> same thing really i mean i i think we all kind of think that our nightmares are are dreams but i mean like in the positive mm. sense of a dream there's no word for a positive dream for some reason even though i mean i guess there's nightmare that's a good point and it, it's yeah. yeah i don't know I, I feel like people get uh so much inspiration from their nightmares i just i feel like there's, there's so much more to get out of a nightmare than a i don't know a daymare or i don't know what you would call it i like daymare <laughs> <laughs> But so why are we talking about houses and hauntings, David? Yeah, so we are going to be talking about our top three haunted house movies today. Before we get started, Henry, do you want to tell us a little bit about your, not about your house, but would you like to tell <laughs> us a little bit about your, your upcoming works, what people should look out for, anything you want to plug? Yeah, definitely. Um, so there's a movie that I, I wrote called Antlers that comes out on October 29th in theaters that's kind of about a, a haunted town, I would say. But it's it's set in the Pacific Northwest, and it follows this teacher played by Carrie Russell who comes home after many years to uh, work at a middle school, and one day one of her students brings this story into class that's like a definitely a, a red flag for abuse she thinks is happening at home and she starts investigating and finds that he's the, the guardian of a very dark supernatural secret and that was um directed by scott cooper and guillermo del toro produced it and did all of the uh, the creature design 
it's not a big spoiler, I guess, to say that there are, there's a creature at the heart of the film. It comes out in theaters on the 29th, and I, I definitely think it's a good one to see in theaters. And I'm kind of secretly just a, a camera geek. And like when I was on set, <laughs> I was just hanging around with the DP, and he shot it on like a large format sensor, kind of like the almost digital equivalent of a of an IMAX camera. Oh, cool. So it just it's like looks like it looks very good on a on a whatever an 80 foot tall screen. Yeah, it's a it's a good one to see in the theater. I would say. So yeah. everyone go see it in the theater. <laughs> go the pay money. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this one for a while. I remember it was one of the first movies to be postponed when COVID began. It was postponed uh, two days before it was set to premiere in New York. Oh we no! We got this oh, message. Man. Yeah, we're, we're pushing this, and we're not sure when it's going to come out. I think that was a fascinating day where we just watched the entire kind of Disney slate get cleared uh, mm. for the for the discernible future. But um, I'm glad it's it's coming out on Halloween. I think it's even more appropriate than the initial uh, April release date. Yeah, it kind of oh, worked yeah. out for the best. It worked out for the best. I'm glad they waited for Halloween of, of 2021. <laughs> Thank gosh. And now we get to go see it. We're going to go see it this week. I'm excited. Yep. Yes. I'm, ex- I'm excited. It's very, like, I wrote it and I was still very scared by it. I'm like a terrible audience <laughs> when it comes to horror movies. So I was just covering my ears and closing my eyes, which is absurd. But you know what's coming. I know what's coming. That's You're the one so stupid. <laughs> These are your nightmares. <laughs> or daymares. Or daymares. <laughs> it's definitely a testament to the team that was involved. Like, they really just, between Scott, who directed it, and, and Del Toro, and the cast, just kind of, I don't know, when they can take a script and just really run with it and make it scarier than you'd imagined, it's kind of a, a <laughs> wonderful thing to see. So it's a it's a cool kind of unexpected combination of uh, creators, but I think it it resulted in a, a pretty unique experience. So yeah, ex- excited for people to finally see it. No, that's awesome. Congrats. This is this is really great. Um, and thank you for coming on today. I mean, oh, to- thank you for having me. <laughs> when you picked this topic to do for the minisode, this was probably the hardest one that we've ever had to do. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, narrowing down haunted house movies, especially into the top three, was like so hard and yet so much fun. And so I'm super stoked to to talk about it and hear what you guys' favorites are. I think Henry should start with his number three today. Um, we're just going to go around in a circle uh, for those of you listening and uh, name our top three. So Henry... Do you I mean, want to start with your number three? I, I totally agree. It's hard to narrow it down to three. And then to, to rank those three is like maybe the greatest challenge of my life. But <laughs> it, yeah, it's cool. It's such a it's such a kind of broad genre. But I it have is. This, yeah. Like I, I try to think like what is the criteria for a really good haunted house? So I think my, my number three was one that I thought kind of really all of the boxes for for like the classic haunted house um 
So that was the changeling from 1980. <laughs> Dude, okay, okay. So, <laughs> David, David, I have to say, David and I texted right before this because we're like, it's so hard to pick our number three. And he and I both said, because it's the changeling, kind of, maybe, possibly. Oh, my God. <laughs> we, were, we, we both agreed that the changeling would easily be within, like, our top five or six or whatever. Uh, but narrowing it down to top three and pushing the changeling out was, like, so painful. It's like, are you really a Haunted House fan if the changeling <laughs> isn't mentioned? Exactly. It's a weird one because I feel like it's one of those movies that so much has been pillaged from it over the years for other haunted house movies, but it's still, I don't, I don't know. We rewatched it a couple of months ago and I, I feel like it still holds up in its original context. Totally. It's a and classic. Like you said, it's, it's a classic and it's got all of the, it's, it's got the, the kind of epic seance scene. It's got a, a ball bouncing down a staircase and, um, Something about it keeps me coming back. I, I think a big part of it is um, George C. Scott and his performance, and I'm, I'm like the ultimate totally George C. Scott fan. And I think um, between this and like The Exorcist Three and uh, A Christmas Carol, he was in like a, a TV movie of The Christmas Carol that's horrifying and, and like scared me as a child. He's such a great kind of protagonist to to follow. He just I feel like that's so much of it is just a really compelling performance as someone's coming up against the impossible and, and how they react to it. So, yeah, something about The Changeling, it definitely still works. And it, I think it successfully answers the question of, of why doesn't he leave this place? And I, I feel like so many yeah. Yeah. stories falter there. Yeah, I, I agree. The um, whole idea of, like, why don't they leave is usually a hard one to answer, so... No, but he, yeah, he has a great reason. Also, I love that this character is a composer, which I haven't really seen very much. And he's like a, a kind of bereaved widower who moved into this house. And it's weirdly like a kind of ghost catfishing movie where these things start happening. And he assumes that his recently deceased daughter is trying to reach out to him. And that's such a like compelling reason to, to oh, stick so sad. around. Oh, my God. <laughs> That opening scene too, like I, in terms of oh like haunted God. house movies, it also haunted me for so long. That movie, it's it really stays with you. I think it was one of the first horror movies I like really remember seeing and like mm. loving a lot. Also, it's just such a unique and original story. Like, yes, it hits all the tropes, all the cliches that really became cliche later. Uh, but the mystery as it unravels is so unique and interesting. Um, it's not a changeling in the traditional sense of the word changeling, but when you find out why it's called that, you're like, oh my god, this movie's fucking great. It's the ultimate mystery, is, is why is this movie called The Changeling? And it, takes, <laughs> it takes a really long time, but I love that, like, at the end of the day, um, George C. Scott is, he's, like, facing down this supernatural force, but then he's also facing down a, a, another person who's kind of still mm. around, and there's a really... Yeah human element to it um, yeah. yeah it's a it's a good one and it and weirdly one that a lot of my friends haven't seen it's um hasn't quite made it into the pantheon of horror greats it should have right? guys, it I should know. have 
Every time I suggest it to somebody, and which is literally all the time, they're like, oh, the Angelina Jolie one. I'm like, no, no, stop. <laughs> Please just remember this movie instead of that one. I, that's such a good number three. And to be honest, I did have it as my number three as well. But I had it also tied with one that was a little bit different. So my number three haunted house is Beetlejuice. Yeah. Oh, I thought about putting that on this list. That's a great one. <laughs> right? It's just like, it's such a fun movie. And like, yeah, it's not your traditional haunted house movie, but it still counts. It's definitely a haunted counts. house. Yeah. And it's just one that I keep going back to all the time, every year. I mean, talk about performances too. Michael Keaton. I mean, gotta give it up. Michael Keaton. And then obviously Tim Burton directed it, but it was written by like my all-time favorite horror author, uh, Michael McDowell, who's hmm. wrote like a couple of novels and then died in his, uh, I think in his early 40s and is really tragic. Hmm. But one of the last things he did was write the script for Beetlejuice. And his, I, I, I don't know, all of his books have this kind of dark comedy to them, but also managed to be very horrifying. But yeah, if, if you haven't read uh, The Elementals by, by Michael McDowell, it's a, a super good haunted house book. I'm literally just reading that now. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I've been trying to get through it. I was like, who is this horror author? Why haven't I heard of him? I was like, oh, he did Beetlejuice. That's cool. <laughs> I'm going that's through awesome. like all my dad's old horror books that oh, he so left cool. me. It's It recently came into print again. Beetlejuice for me is that movie that like I watched and loved when I was five years old. And I do not remember anything about it, and I need to rewatch it. <laughs> you I, should. I, I just don't it's, remember it. <laughs> I guarantee it's like totally different than you remember. Because I was I was in the same Probably. boat. It's an another one we watched kind of during the pandemic screening series. Yeah, it's just such a. I just really love that lead couple and relationship. I feel like that carries the whole movie and. Um, there's something else I was thinking about, kind of how important it is that you really sympathize with the people in a haunted house movie. Um, yeah. As opposed to kind of the slasher where you're rooting for the killer. I, I feel like, um, yeah, the haunted house movie, you just, you really want to relate to these people and want them to, to solve the mystery at the heart of it. So, but it's also funny because at the same time, the way this movie twisted is like, they're also the ones haunting the house as well. Which which is so unique and fun and just like I feel like there's so many twists and turns in the script itself that like when you really look at the overall story arc you're like oh man there's so much more here than just like a goofy haunted house story you know yeah it, it also it very casually dumps this like Lovecraftian mythology on you with oh really uh, like I remember that I think the first time once they've died the first time they go out of the house they're in this weird desert with giant worm creatures that are swimming around and <laughs> I don't, it just hints at this this very um mysterious afterlife that's that's not quite uh how we might think of it but um, yeah and and the details of it is so great i mean every single background character when they're in the afterworld is so well done and each in in their costume and in their makeup each has a story of like how they've died and it's so it's just so fantastic to see this full world around them it actually might be a good pairing with my number three 
which is also a children's horror that was not directed by Tim Burton, although many people might think it was. And that's Coraline. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Just like you guys were saying, it's a, it's very deceptive in how it presents itself because it feels like this very classic fairy tale. It almost has a, a Disney movie type setup. But then it's yeah. just so exceptionally dark and brooding to the point where we're like, are you sure this is a kid's movie? Like, now we're talking about how there are all these dead children whose souls have been captured by this giant spider monster thing. <laughs> With buttons it's for scary. eyes. <laughs> oh, horrifying. Yeah. I, you're totally right. It, like, harkens back to um, Grimm's fairy tales. Just, like, truly awful stories under the guise of a, a fantastical tale and that the book really scared me as well i think as I a kid the, the, the neil gaiman book is um some of his descriptions are are pretty chilling and the yeah the movie did it so well like i'm so glad it was a um, stop motion animation stop motion works so well stop motion is just unbelievably creepy and <laughs> if you're using stop motion for anything other than to creep out your audience then you're using stop motion wrong because it's creepy <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah and I, that's funny because we always try to recreate it i guess in horror movies too that we're like take out these frames to make it look mm. jittery yeah which mm. is stop motion-esque yeah like they did that in us in yeah. us in like um in pulse that, that's such a good point. People are always trying to move like a stop motion character. It's funny. Yeah. What did we just cover, David? Oh, The Evil Within. Have you seen that, Henry? It's like a little stop motion-y as well. And so creepy. Oh, so creepy. Um, what's your number two, Henry? So my number two, this is the, the controversial one because it's, it's not necessarily about a house, but it's Session 9 from 2001, which is a haunted asylum. So kind of a kind of a house. This was like an early introduction to horror for me because one of my dad's best childhood friends plays the security guard in Session Nine, and it's shot in um, Danvers Hospital, which is super close to where I grew up. So I, I watched this movie and then went to the actual building where it was oh, shot, God. and it's is the most kind of unsettling overlap. Yeah, it's a it's a really kind of strange unique one I, I don't know if either of you have seen i'm trying to remember is this the nine. one with the tapes it's the one with the tapes and yes. it's like a team of guys who are um removing asbestos from an old hospital yes i do remember this it is creepy it's very unique can you describe it i haven't seen it like what what what's the the pitch so it's it's like a very very simple setup which is this team of workers who have taken on the job of uh, rehabilitating an abandoned asylum and kind of removing all the hazardous waste because it's it's supposed to be turned into the new kind of town offices and each of them starts to fall prey to this this kind of malign presence that still lives in the building but mm. the tapes is like the heart of it where one of them discovers this set of reel-to-reel -reel recordings in the basement that chronicles a, a patient who used to live here who was suffering basically dissociative identity disorder and had this voice in her called Simon. And Simon like keeps coming up throughout and, and one of the characters ends up being kind of possessed by um, by this entity called Simon. And it's 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 cool. It like gets into the 
abuse that was suffered by patients at this hospital. And the whole theme is, is that kind of each of these characters is, is wounded and, and weak in their own way and mm-hmm. susceptible to this force that's living there. And it, it's, I'm saying it's like a simple setup, but it's, it's really hard to explain what actually happened. And I feel like there are so many. Yeah. This sounds really cool. It's cool. <laughs> it's um, also very early digital video filmmaking, like 2001. Mm. So it has a, a very strange, like aesthetic to it that feels, that feels very wrong. Something about the, the frame rate of it, just the way it's shot, I, I think actually adds to the horror of it where it doesn't look like a horror movie is supposed to look. It almost looks like a, a made for TV uh, soap opera. Is that time. intentional or just a I think it was act. intentional. I think it was a product of like this this technology. Yes. <laughs> it's it's so cool. I feel like that's also a modern classic in terms of just I like that you say TV movie because it also kind of reminds me of, you know, like a, a Ghost Hunters or Paranormal State or whatever those other ones are where everyone goes in an abandoned asylum all the time and goes like finding ghosts or getting possessed if you're Zach Bagans or (laughs) (laughs) Um, it it does have that like classic haunting modern day haunting feel Um, I feel like we don't like there's no haunted houses anymore it feels like everything's like a haunted hotel or a haunted asylum or a haunted something or other even the shining was a hotel yeah Yeah. the shining it's it's like these shared spaces I guess like places where you know that many many people have been over the years i feel like the shining is the ultimate setting i think that that all still counts i mean it's it's a a house is just a type of building so you have these other types of buildings and they can also be haunted Uh, yeah i I think that all counts i think you're right it's any place that's that's kind of a gateway to the other side could be could be classed as a haunted house yeah, <laughs> I will say I I did keep The Shining off of my list because it was so hard to narrow it down to three. First of all, but also because I was like, you know what, it's an easy one to knock off because it's quote not a house. So <laughs> <laughs> I will not put it in my top three just to help me narrow it down. <laughs> I kept it off just because I wanted to highlight other movies that people may or may not have seen or may like not have thought about in a while. And ev- everyone knows, I, I, like The Shining is just too easy for me. So I, I wanted to go a little bigger. Yeah, totally. The Shining is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my number two, I had to put it in here because it is one of the movies that scared me the most and it's probably not one that i don't know it's very commercial but paranormal activity i had to put Uh. as my number two (laughs) okay (laughs) (laughs) what you have come on that movie is freaky it's one of the better done found footage films you know oren paley all of that stuff gotta give it up i think yeah i had to put it as my number two i i love paranormal activity and i think the i've seen them all and the lore of the paranormal activity franchise is is like one of the i don't know it's like one of the most intriguing mythologies i think i've ever seen and i right yeah the the kind of cult aspect that comes into it i i don't know i think it's cool but yeah the the original paranormal activity i think i saw that in theaters and i think i i missed most of it because i was covering my ears and closing my eyes but, uh... <laughs> I, I yeah i definitely also covered my eyes when i first watched this 
No, it was in like my house when I was home alone in the dark in the middle of the night for some reason as a teenager. Awful choice. <laughs> it also like started the wave, this new horror wave that we're seeing now, right? Like it started, it basically became the idea of Jason Blum's Blumhouse and like how to make yeah. a cheaper horror movie more accessible and like make more money. And so like I kind of attribute it to this horror craze again, um, which bleeds so much into the indie world as well as we all indie uh, horror filmmakers like you gotta give it up to paranormal activity for helping us with our careers at some point (laughs) i don't dislike paranormal activity i think it's fine i just (laughs) i don't like found footage movies in general and paranormal activity is one of the uh less bad ones but it still falls into all of the tropes that bother me in that genre which is primarily that the characters are just fucking terrible. <laughs> I, just, I just, I want them to die. And that's, <laughs> it, it's, it's found footage wants it to be more realistic. So they like, just make these asshole characters who they think like, oh yeah, this is how people really act. I'm like, okay, but I also want to like them and be able to root for them. But like, what's so bad about wanting characters to die? I, I think some of the cool things that Paranormal Activity does is the way that they use found footage, especially in, oh, my favorite was Paranormal Activity 3. They found some really unique ways to move the camera. Yes, that's, I, I agree, David. There's like so much baggage associated with found footage that I think is the reason people overlook Paranormal Activity in general. But they, there's a great kind of, lore behind it and Devin like you're saying some of the creative ways they come up with to keep the franchise fresh I forget which one it is but there's there's a point at which someone has mounted a camera on like a oscillating fan that's what I was thinking (laughs) of I love that shot so much (laughs) yeah no there's this kind of writing prompt of like these these people setting up a camera in their house what can you do with that and and I think in that way it always felt kind of more plausible to me as found footage than a lot of other uh, movies that, that feel like they really shouldn't have been found footage. Yeah. Um, I haven't given my number two. So it's interesting because Paranormal Activity actually does kind of push what a haunted house movie can be in some way because it's not a ghost. It's a demon. And my number two ah. also is not a ghost. Uh, we've covered a few haunted house movies on this channel before. This is one of them. It's Under the Shadow, the 2014 yes. Iranian film. Wow. I love Under the Shadow. <laughs> so good. Wow. I mean, yeah, no, it's great. And I, I'm just surprised after talking about it so recently that you put it as your number two. It's just so unique and interesting. It, it's, uh, if you haven't listened to our episode or seen this movie... It is set during the Iran-Iraq war, so this apartment building that they live in is getting bombed. Like, they are dropping missiles on the city, and this woman with her daughter refuses to evacuate. And then their apartment is haunted by jinn. It's Iranian, so they use the religious demon jinn as the thing that's doing the haunting, and it is in large part a metaphor for the Iranian government's religious oppression of women. And it's, it's fucking fantastic. We, we've talked about this movie a lot. <laughs> it's so scary. I remember seeing that at um, IFC Center in New York when it, when it first started screening. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, it's such a unique 
I, I don't know. It, it's I feel like something I was thinking about with with uh, haunted house films is how they're they're always kind of tethered to history in some way, and yeah. like the best haunted house stories really like educate you about something that's happened in the world or unearth some some kind of past experience of a character and it, it feels like more so than other subgenres it's like modern day uh, folklore or, or fables that take something very real and grounded and, and twist them into the supernatural yeah I, I, I love Under the Shadow and I, I haven't seen it since that first screening but there are definitely images from it of the gin that still really um, still really stick it's, with me it's a really yeah. terrifying movie and yeah that's something i was thinking too that like haunted house movies are usually there is some terrible thing that has happened in this house it is the subgenre tends to be kind of about a sense of collective trauma in some extent mm -hmm. just by way of the typical trope and typical plot and in this movie, the djinn are not necessarily specific to the house. They kind of land in this building. Uh, it's nothing that happened in the building specifically that summons them. But it still has all those themes and works in the same way. Yeah, and I think it's really beautiful what you two are saying. Because, yeah, we usually see it with the history haunts a person or a family. But, like, in this one, yeah, it's a family. Yeah, it's a person. But it also kind of feels like the whole generation of women is being haunted mm. they're literally under the shadow <laughs> and it's interesting to see um like so often it's it's the very distant past colliding with the present but under the shadow feels like very very imminent and timely yeah and it, i think is that is that is there a, a missile that has landed in the apartment yeah. building it's that it's one okay incredible yeah. shot in our episode on it, Devin asked the question of what we think the title means. And it was a really hard question to answer, so I would like to just quickly follow up. Uh, that's a religious quote. That that is that's a quote. It <laughs> it's a reference to I I guess to the Quran or something. I forget now, but it is the shadow of like God, essentially. Oh. Mm -hmm. Um I mean the title can mean more than one thing, and I think it does, but yeah. Uh, so Rob was not able to join us today. He has a lot going on this month, but he sent us his top three, and we haven't mentioned any of them yet. Uh, his number three is the, I think it's 1999 remake of 13 Ghosts. Ha, it's pretty I good. I just watched that. I just watched that. His number two is uh, the 1977 Japanese movie House, or Hasu, mm -hmm. which I have not seen, but I've heard is amazing. Have you guys seen it? I have not. It's wild. <laughs> it's, uh... <laughs> and then his number one, okay, so we did mention this, but we, we talked about why we didn't put it on our list. Rob's number one is The Shining. Ah, yes. Great. Yes. Great. Yeah. I mean, it's The Shining. The Shining is amazing. It's the most terrifying <laughs> movie I've ever seen. <laughs> all right so henry so curious what your number one is this was really tough and I, I ended up kind of torn between two um older films uh that's <laughs> so like the haunting based on the shirley jackson novel but i ended up going with the innocence from 1961 which i went is... with the haunting you did <laughs> <laughs> now we debate oh man uh, yeah, for those of you who don't know, uh, The Haunting is an adaptation of Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House, 
And The Innocence is an adaptation of Henry James, The Churning of the Screw. And those books were also the inspirations for the Netflix shows The Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Bly Manor, which weren't eligible for these lists because they're not movies, but they're fucking amazing. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, let's talk about The Innocence first, because you brought it up. I think, I mean, I was torn between these two because they're they're very similar, Mm. and I feel like... As opposed to this, the classic haunted house trope of, of someone dealing with this external force or ghost or demon, they, they both feel very, very interior and, and psychological and, yeah. and center on this kind of one character who's um, experiencing something that they, they can't quite explain and are, are very isolated. I love them both. I, I think the innocence in particular... I love it because it maintains a, a complete and total ambiguity right up until the final scene as to whether or not this is a, a supernatural tale. It, mm-hmm. it's, so I, I love that element. I, I love the idea that there's a way to read this film that's completely grounded and scientific, and it still manages to be incredibly frightening. And then I, I think a big part of it is just the way that it, it is shot and presented it's a, it's an early cinemascope movie, but it was also shot in black and white, which is, is like a really strange yeah. combination. But it's mm-hmm. it's filled with these very wide frames with very deep focus, so you're never quite sure what you're supposed to be looking at, and it, it results in some really um, unsettling moments. Some of these shots in this movie are just ingrained in my brain that e- even even in the early 60s, it's so frightening and unsettling. Yeah, and I, I feel like a lot of what you're saying also does apply to Haunting as well. Like, that was also shot in black and white. It's also ambiguous whether or not it the supernatural events are real in The Haunting. Yeah. I think the reason that they're staying in that house is to test to find out if it's actually haunted and to prove whether it is or it isn't. And only the main woman really seems fully convinced that it's haunted. And everyone else is like, no, we can rationalize this. And you're, you're torn between wondering whether she's right and she's really seeing things or if it's all of the pressures that have built up inside of her and if she's just collapsing under this anxiety. Yeah, and I think in um, The Innocence, there's this almost romantic element to the ghosts. There, there's definitely a romantic and kind of psychosexual element where this lead character is, is terrified by what's happening, but also weirdly kind of drawn to this relationship uh, this illicit relationship in the past. So you're you're always wondering kind of Definitely. is is this the fantasy of this person who's been so repressed by society or is it something truly um supernatural? And I, I think for me that's why it holds up where I I can just keep rewatching it and, and wondering about those uh, ambiguities and searching yeah. those frames for for clues. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see for both of these how they've been co-opted in different ways, where mm-hmm. I know the, the kind of Netflix Haunting of Hill House, which I thought was terrific, um, took it in a completely different direction of yeah, you know familial trauma. and um, Yeah, I love those shows so much. I love Mike Flanagan. I'm watching <laughs> Midnight Mass right now. <laughs> I'm excited to start it. 
I I almost I mean speaking of Mike Flanagan, I almost put Oculus on my list. Yeah. I thought about it. And that so good. now that's a movie that blends the the genre. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a little bit harder to define as a haunted house genre, I, mean, I think. A haunted mirror movie. That's yeah. the question though. Like is is a haunted house movie is it all of these tropes that were I think largely set up by the innocence and the haunting. I think those are movies that really define the haunted house genre. So do you need this genre to be there is literally a house that has ghosts in it or do mm-hmm. you need it to be like it has these elements, it has this spooky presence, it has these themes. Is Get Out a haunted house movie? There's no ghosts, but it has everything else. Is Rosemary's mm. Baby a haunted house movie? Is A Nightmare on Elm Street a haunted house movie? I feel like it has to have the paranormal element, though. To think about the definition of a haunting, it needs to be a demon questionable. I mean, okay, wait, 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 wait. For my number one. Yes. It, just because it bleeds into it. David, you have a guess of what it is? All right. So, Devin, I think I know you pretty well. There's a Poltergeist poster right behind you, or is that the DVD? Uh, there are film clips. And then also a Tangina cross stitch. Yeah. There's, yeah. Yeah. Devin is obsessed <laughs> yeah. with Poltergeist. And if Poltergeist is not her number one, then I'd imagine explanation. Yeah, Poltergeist is not my number one, surprisingly. So I what know, I know. Fuck? Sorry. So uh, uh, one, I, I, it just, it, it, I couldn't list it. I, it's just like it, it's not only my favorite horror movie, but it's my favorite movie. Period. So I just felt it was unfair to even try to compare it to anything else. But yes, ultimately, Poltergeist is my number one, but also partially because of the definition of haunted house. And I had to stretch a little bit and like, yeah, ultimately, this is a haunted house movie, but the movie itself defines itself as not a haunted house movie. It is a movie about a poltergeist. So, I mean, Dr. Lush in the film literally says a poltergeist is stuck usually to a person, whereas a haunting is usually an area. Which, like, it is, like, Poltergeist is, but it isn't. Ah, it's so confusing, because, like, is, is it ghosts, or is it uh, an energy that comes from a person that is manifested, and then therefore, is it a haunted house? Or is it a haunted person? I think it's a haunted house. Or is it a haunted family? I mean... Like, I don't know, because then, I mean, if we continue with Poltergeist 2 and 3, it is a haunted person. Yeah, but it doesn't start that way, and you can't continue with Poltergeist 2 and 3. I mean, I can make a sequel to The Changeling where I say, oh, actually, that that ghost wasn't even a ghost. It was just an AI recording. And then you'd be like, oh, well, it's not a haunted house movie. No, you have to take the original and it's abstract. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, the question that comes up with all of the insidious movies as well, which yeah, yeah. I, I love that um, a family is living in a haunted house and then they do what any normal person would do and they move. And the haunting continues, <laughs> and you realize it's it's tethered to their son. I think my my criteria was like there has to be some kind of unresolved trauma or like historical element mm. to it. So mm. I, I would actually agree. Like Poltergeist feels like a almost science fiction story to me. So Devin, what is your number one? Please don't say the remake of Amityville Horror. No. Oh God. No. 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 <laughs> I actually win. Very, very similar to how you guys described your number ones, except different. I went with the others. Mm. I went psychological, tonal, the whole isolation, um, not knowing if it's supernatural, not like literally everything you guys listed for the innocence and the haunting. 
I feel like was the reason why I chose the others also. We have to talk about this without spoiling it. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I'm, I'm happy to just leave it at that. It's a good rewatch too. There's so many of the, like you were saying with the innocence, like there's so many moments where I'm like, oh, how is this going to differ knowing the ending? I, yeah, I can't talk about it without spoiling it, but it's, I, I just, I love that movie. It's, it's fun. The others is a great choice. I considered it as well. And all three of these are, I, I would call all three of them gothic horror, which I think is yeah. interesting. Yeah. And they're all about a character who's kind of repressed something in their mind that starts to kind of bleed through in the form of a, a supernatural experience. So I, I think that's so interesting, kind of gets back to the whole origin of, of Haunted House. But they're all in these kind of gothic architectural settings and there's a lot of darkness and all about people who are, are isolated from the world. So I don't know. There's there's something there. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. It was so great to have you. This was a super fun episode and thanks for departing all your wisdom as well. Really great to talk through the genre with you. Oh, this was a pleasure. And uh, I, I hope to come back and join you again. Absolutely. Henry, where can people follow you and learn more about antlers and what you're up to next? Uh, well, I'm not big on social media, but I feel like the best way to follow me is through uh, various projects. So antlers comes out on the on the 29th, and um, I've been working for a while on this uh, show called Servant that's on Apple TV, and that we're now going into the fourth season of. But the third season is set to premiere, I think, in November, although they haven't set a date yet. And that's a, a fun show and, and definitely one that preserves ambiguity uh, up until the last moment as to whether or not uh, something supernatural is unfolding. Uh, so I also recommend checking that out. Hell yes. Awesome. So everyone go watch Antlers and then go watch The Servant on Apple TV. Yeah, and let us know what you think of the movie and the show, and send us your uh, awesome Halloween costumes to our social media at Cadaver Dogs Pod. Till next time, pups, stay spooky. This house is clean.